Hello and welcome to episode 170 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. Thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, when I say we speak to writers of all kinds, normally that's over a series of episodes. But this week we're speaking to someone that has written across a number of different formats. Yes, we are indeed. We're chatting with the wonderful Alistair Beckett King who uh, has written, as you say, across a number of different uh, media. He's written for video games with Unforeseen Incident. Um, he helped with the translation and the, the English version of, of, of that German game. He's written uh, children's books, Montgomery Bonbon, Murder at the Museum, came out in February uh, this year, and his second one's coming out in October. And he's, of course, best known for his stand-up, in which if you have not seen him, Go to YouTube and watch some clips. He is very, very funny. Yeah, we'll put we'll put a link to his YouTube channel in the podcast. He's, he, he's uh, one of these comedians that, that sort of um, really hit it big when some of his skits, his online skits, went went big, and yeah. they are very, very funny. He produces them all himself, play multiple characters, often with animation as well, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So definitely uh, worth looking at those that, uh, if you haven't seen them already. But he was a great guest, very, very funny. And we chat to him about all these different things about, you know, uh, writing comedy, getting into comedy, which is very timely, of course, because it is currently August, which is the month of the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. But although, as Alistair says, he is not at the Fringe this year and he sounded pretty happy about it. Yeah, that's to be said. So if you're upset about that, don't worry, we've actually brought Alistair to you. Yes, indeed, yes. So, yeah, he tells about that. He tells about writing for video games. Um, he's a huge fan of point-and-click video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, also talks about writing books for kids, which is, a, you know, as we discussed, it can be quite a difficult um, line, nowhere to pitch, yeah, especially if you're difficult. writing comedy and things like that. Where do you pitch the pitch Because the it's stuff, because normally it's stuff that you write that you find funny yourself or you find scary mm-hmm. yourself. But when you're writing a book for a kid, I'm like, well, how do I know for sure that a kid would like this? I feel like it's difficult yeah, or to how does a kid, it? will a kid know about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah we, we chat to him about all of that. Probably so. kind of many sex scenes in there, I imagine. That's probably the first to get cut out. I mean, always with the sex tarot. <laughs> <laughs> One track mind. <laughs> um but but uh, I promise you that there's no further discussion of sex in this episode. Um, <laughs> we will get straight to it after a quick advert for a writer's notebook, and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those taut thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. 
normally on on the podcast i start with the question did you always want to be a writer um you have as as you were saying just before we started recording you've written across a number of genres but i suppose you're best known for being a a comedian did you always want to to be a stand-up comedian that's a good question i'd spent ages trying to be other things than a stand-up comedian (laughs) i went to film school i wanted to write and direct films and i spent years plugging away at that um and just as i was leaving film school uh, i did my first stand-up gig excuse me i've just realized um we're on my phone's internet and it's giving me a battery warning which could oh, right. okay oh no okay it's plugged in it's charging now oh, okay, okay. Uh, now that's what we call raising the stakes it's, uh, it's a narrative technique i did that on purpose uh, to demonstrate incredible, incredible my, yep yes just call me robert mckee or whatever that guy's name is. um Joseph Campbell. I'm the Joseph Campbell of not charging phones, uh, by which I mean I don't charge them in a really bigoted way. No, forget it. Starting again. What was the question? Did you always want to be a stand-up comedian? Yes. If I'm being honest, since I saw first saw a stand-up comedy, probably Billy Connolly, probably aged about 10 or 11, I thought that looks brilliant um, and I'd really like to do it. But I was too afraid until I was about 28, 27, 28 to, to, to even attempt it. And what I used to do was I used to pitch films with slides and kind of be funny while I was trying to pitch ideas. Mm. And uh, I did that several times or do funny presentations at university. And I, I, I liked that a lot. But there's also you can sort of hide behind the excuse. Well, it wasn't meant to be funny, was it? It was just a it's just a presentation. You know, it's just a pitch. <laughs> so if it's funny, that's a bonus. But if it's yeah. not funny, there's no risk. Yeah. Whereas if you go up at a, an open mic or in a comedy gig, then you have you have to be funny, otherwise it's gone wrong. And and so when did you make that first step into? When did you say right, I'm going to do this and try and be funny and take that risk? I was visiting my parents for Christmas, and um, I I had a couple of sort of funny stories that I would tell people. I remember I remember telling someone one of the stories, and I remember her saying, um, "Oh, you're just so naturally funny." And I thought I've really worked on that story quite a lot. Of the you know that that little anecdote, I've I've worked mm, yeah. I've worked it up to the point where it's quite funny now, um, and that isn't the same thing as being naturally funny. But I've fooled this stranger into thinking I'm funny, um, so maybe I could do that professionally. <laughs> uh, maybe I could expand that instead of doing it on a one-on-one basis, um, do it to like one or two hundred people, and that that could work. Um, so over Christmas, I, um, I thought of a way of linking several, all the stories were like funny things that happened to me in the street, which were basically true stories that I had massaged slightly. I thought, what if I mm-hmm. string those together as if they happened all in one go? Cause I thought in those days that a five minute comedy set had to be narrative. Um, and so I said, ah, well, okay, well, uh, the natural way to do this is, uh, to base the set on Joyce's Ulysses. And <laughs> so... This is tr- I know it sounds ridiculously pretentious, but this is how I thought a stand-up comedy works. So I wrote a five-minute set about purchasing a copy of James Joyce's Ulysses and then trying to get home with it uh, and various interruptions along the way. Um, and um, I very quickly realized that the in a short set, the narrative element is completely extraneous and you don't need that at all. Mm-hmm. People are very happy to just have jokes. Annoyingly, I forgot about that for years and then started trying to write full longer shows where suddenly people want structure and if not narrative at least a sort of musicality to the structure of a of a of a show and that's really annoying because I completely <laughs> dispensed with it after that first gig. I was like, "Joyce, hit the road, you're out." <laughs> I mean I mean I did want to ask about that because because Looking at your your recent stuff, it does tend to have a theme or a story that runs through it, and and I wondered how do you how do you craft that performance? You know, do do you approach it as as like I've got a bunch of jokes I've been working on, and I'll pull them together now into this. What can I? How can I stitch them together into a, into a story? Or do do you just have a story first and then try and work out where the gags are on the way? Well, I am not. And unfortunately, I'm not a, stand- a storytelling stand-up comedian. And I, I wish I was. I wish I were, to correctly use the subjunctive, because writers listen to this, I assume. So I'll just correct <laughs> myself there. Uh, would that I were an uh, anecdotalist, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not a gag, gag, gag comic, but 
the stuff I do is based on jokes. So yes, it, there'll be sort of here's five jokes about this idea, or here's something that's essentially funny about this event that happened. How 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 can I shore that up with other jokes that fit in and observations? And I think the really good storytelling comedians have moments where you, you're sort of sitting thinking, and what happens next, which is mm-hmm. a, you know a key part of narrative and drama. Uh, now, very that's very rare in stand-up comedy, partly because story i think is often about anticipating the outcome and comedy is often about surprising people with the outcome mm-hmm. and the best comedians play with that of course but um yeah my sto- my shows aren't stories some people do do a 60 minute story and um, i've only done a handful of shows maybe i'll learn how to do it but for now what i try to do is structure them uh, I, I'm, I'm learning how to structure. I'm, I think I'm getting better at it. I, I, I mentioned musicality. I'm, I'm not very musical, but I do think about the way albums are structured. Like okay. a non-concept album still has a kind of shape to it. Yeah. And I think a stand-up show is a bit like that. So, so you know, so the jokes about um, like uh, who I am and, and what I look like, a you know, joke about my appearance, probably going to go at the start of the show when that is new. Rather than, mm. you know, because you're going to get an awful lot more for a, I have long red hair. You're going to get an awful lot more for a joke about what you look like if it's at the top than if it comes late. With yeah. The, yeah. Having said that, there are a few exceptions. But it's more, um, yeah, it's more about thinking about how, how can I trick the audience into having a, a sense of closure and satisfaction? Um, yeah. And there are a variety of techniques for that, which are, which I think are largely narrative-esque but they're not narrative i think like uh, after my last show someone was very someone very nicely came to chat afterwards and sort of said i enjoyed it it seemed like it was just a whole load of random things but then it all came together at the end it's like (laughs) oh nice uh, so that is exactly what i was trying (laughs) the the second part of that where it came together at the end is exactly what i have spent months slaving over because it is just it is just a collection of bits and observations but i'm trying to present it to you with an aesthetic coherence, yeah. Uh, but like you said, like you said with that first, sto- those first stories that you you sort of crafted and and made better, and even with that show, you're uh, how how long does it take you to put something together like that? How long does it take to write that and and sort of work everything up to a standard that you're happy to go out and 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 perform? I think I'm a very slow writer in general. Um, I was very, very slow when it came to stand-up comedy. Um, a lot of people really threw themselves at it more quickly. I was, I was way, way too cautious. I think um, the thing about comedy is that it, it takes a lot of time to get better, and people are very, very slow to give you opportunities and, and breaks. And if you, you know, there are there are milestones in stand-up comedy. Have you got a good five? Uh, have you got a competition five that you can do in competitions? You know, have you got a ten? Because you've got ten, then you can do open spots. Have you got twenty? Because then they might actually give you a paying gig. Can you write an hour? Can you write another hour? Um, and, and, or why well, say an hour? In my case, it's fifty-three minutes and a, a lot of smiling. <laughs> uh, never done more than fifty-three minutes. Don't don't tell anyone. Um, it's fine. People are happy. So just stop then. Um, but. I've slightly forgotten what the question was. Which was what? about, like, how long you're you're sort of working and honing this stuff and oh, how long that, it gets to... Yeah. Yeah. I, and with that, I got sort of stuck in a five and a ten that was quite good. And it's, it's so hard to get out of that. And it's so I got, I got a, I finally got a 20. And it's so hard to get out of that. The thing that I realised is that you, you should be stretching yourself. You know, like, if, if you're a relatively new comedian and you say, hey, can I can I get a 10 spot? They'll be like, yeah, you can in six months' time mm-hmm. if you're in a, you know, if you're in a city like London. Um, so you should be asking for the 10 spot before you've got a 10 because it's right. going to take okay. months okay. for you to do it. And by the time that, you know, I, I would do the fringe doing sort of little shows, multi, you know, multi-hander shows with friends thinking, okay, well, I'll do 20 in that show and that will be a big stretch. But by the time it comes around... I've got 20 and it's easy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so every time I, I should have been reaching further and, um, and trying to do, you know, 25% more than I thought I had to stretch it because it's too easy to be conservative, I think. So I'm not always, always fighting against being a slow, slow, slow writer and sort of natural conservative. Small C, I hasten to add. <laughs> and no, um, not, not and I mean, when, when you say about writing uh, like a kind of five, ten, twenty minute 
you know, slot. Um, how do you know when it's ready? You know, how do you, do you test material on family and friends? You know, how do you know when you've polished or what tweaks you need to make to something? That's a good point. Stand-up comedy is very different, I think, to pretty much everything else because you just do it in front of an audience and they give you the feedback. Yeah. yeah. Which would make every other form of writing way easier, <laughs> I think. Um, yes. I, I sort Although of think it's scarier that way. It is scary. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is scarier. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that the, yeah, the 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 audience is. You might try them. You might try something out on a friend or someone you you you're working with. You might try it out at a new material night or an open mic night. Um, real audiences. Uh, you, it, um, now that I've been doing it a little while, I can put on work in progress shows and get a handful of people along to a, a work in progress show if I do it at a comedy festival, and that's very helpful because. Um, the vibe of that is quite different. It's it's supportive, but at the same time, you can you can tell something that works, and you can tell something mm-hmm. that eh, these people are being very kind, but that's not a joke. Is it obvious sometimes? I mean, obviously, as you say, it's obvious when something isn't working, but is it obvious how to make it work? You know, where where the fix is, or is it a case of scrap the whole thing? Uh, it's so it, it, no, not at all, and. If I can give you an example, um, a a joke that is quite, I've had for quite a while, it's out there on the internet um, in, in a few forms. I have a bit about v- vegan proverbs, uh, and it's a joke, in fact, that uh, pretty much every vegan comedian I know at some point has written. But as far as I know, I wrote it first, so I'm still doing it. But it's, <laughs> um, it's a very obvious joke. Like all jokes that are based on phrases, inevitably other people are going to think of them. Um, yeah. But the um, it's just about all of the phrases that don't work if you're a vegan. Like, if you're a vegan, you can't have a bird in a hand. You can't kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> what for? And then I do a big, long list of them. Um, I, and I say, it's just you can't give advice if you're a vegan. I'll give you an example of some vegan advice. You can't make an omelette. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you just can't make an omelette. It's a very scary one to do over Zoom, that, because the lag means that you don't laugh at the point that you should laugh. <laughs> and I get scared. <laughs> Um, so that's quite that's quite it's, it's quite funny. Um, it, it, I'm not doing it better. <laughs> I've done it better than that, but that's a, that's an example. No, of no, a joke. Don't, take, don't take the lag as as as. A, <laughs> you can edit. We're that. just very stupid. The laughs. It, it, yeah. just in, up the game gain a little bit on the laughs to make it sound. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now I in my notebooks uh, had just a list of sayings that don't work if you're a vegan. Including, you know, you you, you can't um, you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs, and I think I had it written down as like uh, you can't make an omelette at all or something like that, and it was just in mm-hmm. the list, and it wasn't a bit because it didn't have a punchline, and it was yeah. only when I when I realised you know, I didn't invent the the hanging sentence, the sentence that people expect to be finished that isn't, you know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's a, a, a an old a hoary old um, device. But only when I realised that, oh, that's how that becomes a joke. It's the same, exactly the same words and it's exactly the same concept, but rearranged, it's funny, and unrearranged, it's not funny. Mm-hmm. When we've spoken to other comedians as well, they say that it's sometimes hardest to get feedback from fellow comedians, in a way, because you can tell <laughs> something that's really funny and the comedian will just sit there and go, that yeah, works, good. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, and famously, the, the time that you'll hear a laugh from the back of the room is when it's going wrong. <laughs> you know, the, <laughs> the things that will amuse your colleagues, uh, friends and rivals will be um, you uh, saying something you really shouldn't have or really putting your foot in it on stage um, or, or trying something that there's just no, there's just no way you're going to get that across. Um, that's the kind of thing that will please the, uh, the, the, the... What I'm saying is all comedians apart from me are horrible. <laughs> horrible cruel people and and you've you've sort of i guess um start to build your profile not not just with the stand-up but also with sort of sketches that you put on social media and things like that is that a new and good route for would-be comedians to to try and take well i, I know nothing about the tiktok um mm-hmm. but it does seem to be a big deal the mm-hmm. the old uh, TikTok. Um, I, I, I'm on Twitter, which used to be a big deal. And yes. I think won't be very soon. And <laughs> YouTube, uh, and who knows what's going to happen with YouTube. Um, 
I think the experience that I had uh, of doing skits and sketches uh, and um, building up my profile a little bit through that is probably quite unique to lockdown. Right, okay. So I was doing it before lockdown to, to, to an audience of no one. And during lockdown, I, I, I was lucky enough to have a few videos go sort of semi-viral and built a a little following off the back of that and got various sort of career opportunities off off the back of that again, including... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I don't know whether getting to do a little bit of telly was a direct consequence of it, but I, I bet it was. And... Um, the uh, the book the series of books that I'm in the middle of writing now also came out of uh, a, a video a series of videos that I, I made during the first lockdown I think so um, it's it it I, well really the the pandemic worked out delightfully for me uh, personally <laughs> it was hugely successful but I um, I sort of feel like well yes. Obviously, if you're a comedian, you should have an online profile these days, I think. And, you know, um, plugging away on the circuit is uh, absolutely something you should do. But you should probably also be doing funny TikToks as well, because why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being snobbish about that, I think, is a a mistake. But um, I don't think think there's a recipe for it. I don't think you can say, ah, well, this person did that, and so I'll do this, because... You know, I alluded to the fact that Twitter is collapsing as a platform because what works one year on in the world of the internet and social media might not work the next year. And it's funny because when we when we speak to like authors and stuff, they talk about timing and and luck just being the you know the, their manuscript lands on the right the desk of the right person at the right time that's looking yep. for something like that and. It sounds like it's similar with comedy. We spoke with Michael Spicer, and he talked about how his man in the room next door, yeah, he, 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 he put he it out late us. one night, and then suddenly it got, you know, he didn't even expect it to go anywhere really, and then suddenly, it, obviously, it's become this this huge thing. So, there, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, my my experience was similar. I I, I put a video on Twitter in twenty twenty one. Someone stole it and put it on Reddit. Um, and whoever that person was, I'm very grateful to them because it hit the front page of Reddit, and I gained hundreds of thousands of followers. Well, sorry, I gained in that in that week, I gained tens of thousands of followers on wow. on wow. Twitter yeah. and YouTube, and um, those tens eventually became um, h- hundred, not hundreds, but <laughs> but hundreds of followers uh, slash subscribers, um, which is you know small fry in terms of YouTube influencer you know numbers but um medium fry by the standard of uh you know jobbing comedian um so i was you know that was uh very weird and unexpected but you know i didn't make it happen just just i i I still can't tell you why that video is so much more funny than everything else i've ever done i don't i don't think that it is but it it is i guess factually (laughs) i just have to accept (laughs) that yeah and and I kind of wanted to ask you about other forms of writing you've done, um, starting with uh, Unforeseen Incident, which was a video game which came out in 2018. It was a point-and-click adventure game, a German release. But am I right in saying you helped with the English translation? You gave new kind of dialogue for that? Uh, yeah, we... Essentially, I co-wrote it. Uh, it right. was not my story uh, or my title or my characters, but um, uh, I worked with Marcus Baumer, who is the... the the lead dev and writer of Backwoods who made that game. And essentially we wrote it together. So when, uh, you know, point-of-click adventure games, I'm a huge, huge fan and, uh, and always have been. And they're, they're still sort of big in Germany. There's still sort of a market for them. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of the German ones are translated poorly into English. Now, I don't speak German, so I can't translate from German to English, much to my shame. Um, so... What we did was uh, Marcus would write wrote about half the game in English and I wrote about the other half of the game in English um, and I rewrote his English to naturalise it even though his English is excellent. Um, and then he translated my English and his English into German. Right. right. So okay. there is no original language. It's it's as English as it is German. Ah, okay, okay. In, in terms gotcha. of the writing. Uh, so about half the lines probably were originally German, and he translated them into English for me, and the other half were originally the English, and he translated into the German. I, 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 we don't know whether it's an English game or a German game in terms of its native language. Yeah. And and, and how did that come about? How did, how did you get involved in writing that? 
Well, I'd written a couple of point and clicks uh, of my own, and um, one of them was published um, by Application Systems uh, Games, uh, at, based in Heidelberg, Application Systems Heidelberg, or Ash Games, um, depending on how you say that. And um, they um, they picked up Marcus's game, and uh, the so the, the basically their publisher sort of said maybe you should get this British guy <laughs> to work on the script. So I th- I, th- I don't know whether I was forced upon them as a condition of um, yeah we'll publish you, but uh, you have to work with this guy. Um, but uh, it's very nice working on some. It's very nice to work on someone else's story. I think because mm-hmm. um, in some ways you're you're not so responsible for the big difficult plot beats you're just there to maybe give some sort of feedback and try and be the try and be the audience for some bits so we go okay mm-hmm. i think i'd understand this better if i if i found that out earlier and yeah. just to try and sort of tighten things you know to to, to oh, it's just so much more fun to Im- try and improve something than it is to have to create it um from scratch, from scratch. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, and is that something you'd like to do more of going going forward? Is that is that a kind yeah? Of I've, I've done it on a few other games. Uh, I'd l- I'd love to do it. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I've never been in a in a writer room writers room on for a telly thing. I'd I'd really like to do that. Um, obviously, like most comedians, I've got um, un unpublished um, sitcom pilot scripts and treatments sitting in a virtual drawer on my computer. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I I, I do think. Uh, Punching up, I think, is what they call it for comedy. Yeah, um, uh-huh. I do think I, I'd love to do that, but I'm, I, I also I do worry though that um, perhaps my uh, my tone and interests aren't broad enough. I th- I think you know I think I'd be really good at that as long as we were working in an area I was interested in. But I mean, I, I can up. see it working really well for a point and click. That kind of Tim Schafer double fine. Oh, huge fan vibe, of Tim Schafer. You know, that, yeah. that it kind of fits that kind of classic mold really well. The kind of Monkey Island games, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I and I love those games, and and I don't I think I don't think it's being nostalgic to say that I think um, in terms of the quality of the writing and design, I think they they were better than some of the things that came afterwards. I think. Well, yes. Yeah. It to some extent, perhaps it's because in a sense they were AAA games at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the the and I include myself in this. Those of us who have tried to sort of uh, imitate that have, have are missing the fact that those games were absolutely top of the line games at the time yeah. but also were pushing things forward in lots of ways so you um you know things that used to i'd be playing some some german adventure game in 2003 and going why you know why why is this so annoying you know like this dead end I, I've, I've run into a dead end in the game it's like lucasarts fixed all of the they, they solved yeah. all of these <laughs> yeah. problems like yeah. five years ago but yeah. we've, somehow they've come back yeah exactly um, and uh, obviously, another kind of writing that you've done—you've just released your first book, Montgomery Bonbon Murder at Museum. Do you, do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> yes, I do. Actually, yes. <laughs> um, uh, it's, the listeners should buy it. Is what I have to say. <laughs> so that that came out of a, a lockdown video. I did an interactive murder mystery uh, okay. called, I called, which I called a Who Did It, where I uh, for a week I played a variety of. Uh, characters in a sort of agatha christie parody and uh it was you know pro- properly worked out murder mystery and you could you could vote and make choices but essentially you, c- you could try and work out who did it mm-hmm. uh, and um I-, I eventually bunged the whole thing up on youtube so you can you-, you can still watch it but you can't play along but you can still guess who did it um and walker books uh, an editor at walker books Gronje, um, got in touch with me off the back of that, and we we started having conversations. And I I I was convinced that it wasn't going to go anywhere, and it took a long time uh, before it did. Um, but I've now I've now published one who done it for uh, it's a middle grade book, which means it's nine to twelve. Mm-hmm. But I always think it sounds like it means it's sort of okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, middle, that's right. Yeah, exactly. which I'm happy with because like cause you, if you can achieve if you can achieve sort of okay, then I think you. you win. <laughs> Um, it's middle grade, and um, the and the next one will be out. I, I literally a few days ago sent off. I think the almost final nice. final right. draft. You know, I haven't written final in capital letters on the word document mm-hmm. yet, so it might not be final final. But um, so uh, and there'll be, I think, a couple more after that as well. So um, the premise is that Bonnie Montgomery, a ten-year-old girl, is a brilliant detective. But in order to be able to solve crimes, she has to disguise herself as Montgomery Bonbon, who is a sort of knockoff Poirot 
um, <laughs> except she can't do the accent as well. So his uh, his language and his accent slide all over the place. But she does wear a big fake moustache, a raincoat and a beret as she fools the adults around her while also solving murders. Excellent. And I mean, was was writing a book something you'd always wanted to do? Was that kind of a goal you'd like to have tried at some point? Or, or was this kind of out of the blue, you know, on, a new challenge for you? It'd be extremely arrogant of me to say that I didn't want to write a book, wouldn't it? And I, was, I was forced to do it um, as it, when the opportunity arose. The the concept had been around. I didn't know, you know, I, I, uh, the idea of um, Montgomery Bon Bon. I sort of, what I wanted to do was sort of uh, a Jonathan Creaky kind of uh, mm-hmm. uh, impossible crime story for kids or yeah. for a family audience. And I didn't know if that was like is that a, like an animated thing that I should be pitching, or is it is it TV? Mm-hmm. Is like well, the, I, I, is it live action? I, I, you know, so I um, I uh, I was toying with the idea when when I spoke to when I first had that conversation with Walker, and and um, since it came off the back of a whodunit, I was like, well, you know, actually, I, you know, I do actually have ideas for kids' books that I didn't realize what might be a book. It hadn't occurred to me, which I, which I, I realise is again another example of sort of um, uh, either serendipity uh, or um, privilege because I, it's really hard to to get that conversation with a, with an editor at a, a publishing house. You know, there are people with beautifully uh, polished manuscripts um, who who can't get people to read them, and so I, I feel like I sort of um, cheated. Uh, and jumped the line a little bit, as yeah, but might say. It came off the back of all the work you'd been doing. So yeah. in that sense, it's not its not like you you had that meeting after one idea that you had. No, had no, it's not like, a, you know, I didn't just phone up somebody I was at boarding school with. Or <laughs> exactly. <something. laughs> um, I didn't go to boarding school, just to be clear. That's, that's, why, I'm, that's why I'm saying it in a sarcastic voice. Um, no, uh, but I, at the same time, I, I do feel a, a, a certain degree of anxiety. Well, like I, I was plugging it on my YouTube channel, inevitably, and someone said, um, good luck with this. It sounds good, but I, I, as a matter of principle, I don't buy celebrity kids' books. Mm. And I didn't reply, but I wanted to say, I'm not a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you follow me on YouTube doesn't make me a celebrity. Celebrities are famous. I'm not famous. Think about yeah, exactly. you've got to, You have to understand how much less money I have than the people <laughs> you think of as celebrities. At the same time, um, I've, uh, you know, I've got 100 times more Twitter, Twitter followers than other people who are starting out as children's authors. Mm-hmm. And that, maybe that's, you know, it... it, it I don't know whether that's something that publishers um, or literary agents take into account, but I suspect it is because we've convinced ourselves that, or we had convinced ourselves that Twitter was very important for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that's a that's a little platform that I suppose I've I've built myself um, through hard work, but equal, uh, equally could be stripped away at any moment at the whim of uh, a billionaire. But yeah, I feel a little bit cheeky. So I've I really have worked hard on it. <laughs> that was the uh, the and, and going buy your book. That's what that's what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, and me. also buy the book because I really did. Mate, I uh, I thought the only, I, I can't just dash this off now because I feel like I've been a little bit cheeky <laughs> getting this opportunity. So I better really commit to it and um, put as much effort into it as I can. I wanted to to ask about when you when you're writing a children's book like this how do you know the right level to pitch it at you know because i imagine it's it's easy to write something well i imagine it's easier to write something for someone like my say of my age because i know what is too advanced or not advanced enough but when you're writing for someone of a different age group how do you get it so it's not too advanced but not too simple and how do you get that sweet spot i think it's uh it's it's a serious concern and there are sort of uh, uh probably pedagogical pedagogical answers i don't know there are there are people who know about children's development who can answer with some kind of authority there but uh i think i think when we're talking about middle grade i think children are uh, enjoying i think fairly complex stories and quite rich language um i rely heavily on uh, the editor being able to say um kids won't know what that is yeah um and just respect that and go okay well i'll replace it with something that they will know what it is yeah um if it's uh you know but i do i would rather throw in um slightly obscure um uh, you know colorful or archaic language 
um, and then have the editor go, no, this is needs explaining, um, than not try it. So the the first book has uh, um, taxidermied animals, which are com combined versions of different animals, like the uh, flipping flamingopotamus, I think, right. and uh, chimpanzebra, which were originally called chimera or chimera. I never mm -hmm. know how to pronounce it aloud. So partly partly to make it easier on me when doing the uh, audiobook, they're not called that. <laughs> In the in the published version of the novel, they're called monsters because it's an easier word. Um, but I think actually there's a lesson for stand-up because, like, you can't have a punchline that hinges on a really a, a really obscure bit of language that mm -hmm. might confuse people. But you often can throw in something that not everybody necessarily understands in the setup because, as long as context or you know, setups often involve repetition because you want to you want to reinforce an idea before you subvert it. So there's often a sort of a one-two in a setup, saying the same mm -hmm. thing twice using synonyms. And one of those can be really fruity or, um, uh, yeah, obscure, mm -hmm. uh, as long as the, the punchline brings it all together. Yeah. And so I, I sort of think it's that. Like, you can you can throw, you can include a word um, that, that the readership, that the, maybe the first time they're going to read it, but they'll probably read it a few more times, if uh, if context is telling you what that means, then it's still enriching it. I think, I hope. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that I'm, makes a, I'm, sense. A, yeah. I'm a new writer for children's, so I'm on book two, but I, I you know, they're quite short. <laughs> but it still took me ages. Um, so I'm, I think I'm learning these things as I go. But I mean, you, you've sort of spoken about it a bit there. Um, but how does your process for writing a book differ from writing? for a video game differ from writing stand-up or does it you know what are the similarities and what are the differences between that's a great question um stand-up is the is the most different because with stand-up you have sort of an idea and um the more experience you get as a comedian the the, the, the closer you you get to just saying it as you thought of it on stage mm -hmm. so as you know i think if you're less experienced you probably spend more time sort of honing it and honing it and honing it and then trying it out uh, which I think can be dangerous because then you might have polished something which should not be or could not be polished. <laughs> um, I'm not saying I'm not going to use the word "heard," but sometimes it's it's annoying to have. So, some people come to st the stage with new material that is already a finely finely wrought routine. So this is just me, yeah. but I sort of want to see if the essence of it is funny. So I want to try out with the the smallest expenditure of energy. I want to say uh, just the 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 nuggets, the the kernel of the joke. And if that's funny, then I might start trying to build on mm -hmm. it. Uh, video games are writing is is highly transactional, in uh, and highly interactive. So, um, for the most part, uh, I think uh, Dave Gilbert, who publishes, um, uh, develops uh, with, as Wagitai Games. Um, so, if you're into point and clicks, you'll you'll probably know his indie games. Uh, Unavowed was one of the big smashes mm -hmm. of uh, 2019, I think. Uh, a sort of an indie hit. Mm -hmm. um, I think his rule is something like you get five or seven lines of dialogue before the player gets to do something. If you're in a conversation, and I think there was a there is a tendency in you know visual novels and uh, games around 1999 to have loads and loads of long cutscenes. Yeah, where people have conversations and you just sit there twiddling your mouse or yeah. whatever. Yeah, uh, and I I don't think that's right. Um, but the but writing writing within that, okay, this is a little burst of interactivity, and then the player gets to add their spin on it, and then there's another little burst of interactivity, and then the player gets to add their spin on it, is is quite different. And um, and in a point and click games have we don't have barks, which are the thing players spend writers spend a lot of the time writing for games, which are things characters say as they're just wandering around, right? Yeah. Um, many of which are. Uh, end up being quite risible because it's, a, it's sort of a, a funny concept that people would just go around saying things like thought i heard a squirrel must have been the wind <laughs> and it's hard to come up with ones of those that aren't ridiculous so full respect to the writers who have to write them uh, in point and click games you have to interact with the world um which is a great opportunity for jokes because um you know the you you can tra treat whatever the artist has created as the setup and try and come up with a punchline just based on what is this object mm -hmm. uh which is a lovely way to do it rather than writing and then having the art created, sort of having the world there and being able to respond to it. And what what I, what I we tried to do with Unforeseen Incidents specifically was, um, there's, you know, it, it, this is a point-to-click game, so people are going to examine 
Uh, it's a single click game, which means you you don't have a complicated interface, but you can't um, you can't. You, what we thought is okay. Well, uh, if you if you tap once on something, then you'll get um, a sort of a superficial response, and if you tap again, you'll get a a, a second level of interaction with okay. that. So that and that one's more likely to be a joke as well. Um, and we want the we want the things you interact with to um, tell you something about character of the protagonist, uh, who is a sort of a, 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 a like many adventure game protagonists, he's sort of an everyman schmo. He's uh, he's a, a a repair guy. He's a sort of he likes to fix things, uh, and he has low self esteem, uh, which is why he's um, you know he's he's stuck in a, a, a crappy apartment in a, in a dead end town. Um, and think, well, okay, well, um, then everything in this town is going to... Um, he's been here for years, so everything's going to remind him of a story. So as you go around, uh, various objects... Might, you know, the, uh, the seat in the bar reminds him of a, a thing that happened, and that's a funny story, uh, which only comes out through a few lines. I'm not really, in this answer, demonstrating economy of writing, but I'm <laughs> talking about it. <laughs> I'm being actually quite verbose here. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so it's thinking about how can how can every interaction be either moving the story forwards, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe this maybe this background object can give us a hint about what the player is supposed to do, or telling us something about character, or just being funny and entertaining in its own right, just a good mm-hmm. piece of writing. And uh, actually, that's hard to do, but it's very compartmentalized. So it's like, okay, well, what's interesting about this washing machine? And you just sit there and try and think of something that would be interesting about the washing machine, uh, because when you if you play these sorts of games, if you if you play if you play poorer quality games, and I'm not claiming to be an expert, um, I get very very irritated when the player character says something like, "That's my car." It's like, well, yeah. I can see that, or it's yeah. a post box. It's like, well, why did you pay an actor to say that? Because <laughs> the artist has created a post box. This is information I had. <laughs> yeah but but with with books then uh, each one has its own sort of different process and different pressure on you as a writer i guess because with a stand-up you're almost entirely on your own with the video games you're working with other people as you say that's the most sort of collaborative interactive Certainly, yes it's um, very and very with a book you're again you're you're on your own except that you'll when you give it to your editor you'll start to get feedback and things like that so i mean is there a process that you prefer or do you enjoy doing all of them in their own way um i think writing the writing a book is the loneliest and the the most solitary of the lot mm-hmm. because you have an audience with stand up mm-hmm. and they're 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 being your editor or you're you're editing but they're they're giving you the little notes that yeah you, okay yeah. you know and and feedback and you're you're we're so needy as comedians that we're constantly it's like it's like if you had an editor for your book and every sentence you were you were sort of texting it to them going like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of that? Which, to be fair to my editor, I have done a bit. <laughs> a little bit of like, is this funny? Um, it's it's really nerve-wracking. And, and um, like most good-hearted people, I had always despised authors and found them to be insufferably pretentious. Uh, and... Had very little patience for the oh uh, hashtag writing, um, you know, oh it, you know, it, it's uh, we, what martyrs we are, sitting, you know, spending all day sitting in front of a computer. It doesn't sound that hard. I thought, having done it though, it actually is really, it's really <laughs> bloody hard. Um, uh, so I now respect writers. Yeah, and, and I mean, you're obviously working. Oh, I mean, how was it working with an illustrator, and what kind of interplay did you have with them what did they come on at the same time as you did they come on after you'd written the book what's how does that work uh yeah um claire powell is the illustrator of the book and i, I can draw so uh, and um and, and i do bits of animation so i i what i didn't want to do was be um precious and uptight about how i had seen things in the book because because i i visualized things quite strongly and clearly and uh i, I didn't want to be and a nightmare collaborator. So one of the really nice things about the, the uh, I don't know how other publishers work, Walker maintained a degree of distance between, you know, so uh, between me as the writer and uh, Claire as the illustrator. So I, I wasn't um, speaking to her directly, saying things like, make the glasses bigger. <laughs> he should be taller. And giving those sorts of uh, awful um, notes. Um, 
what was nice about it is that that creates the possibility for me to be surprised as she sort of finds new jokes and funny angles on things that I had written without me knowing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, some someone complimented me on a joke in the book the other day. I think, I think a kid said they really liked it. And I was like, thank you very much. And they remembered that I didn't write it. And it's a, dro- <laughs> it's a joke from inside one of the drawings. Um, so it's it's completely Claire's work. Uh, but I was totally happy. But, that, but it, in a way, that uh, doesn't matter. It sort of does matter. But... <laughs> It doesn't matter because the book is a, a an entity, and um, and I also think that the the illustrations are a way for the um, for the children on the younger end of middle grade yeah. to be able to enjoy it. Like friends have read it to kids who are who are sort of eight, which I think is a it's a bit young for actually having a murder in the book. But the illustrations are a way of um, you know if the language is a is a barrier, the illustrations are a way into the book. I, I think, but also, but they're. Yeah, they're more than that. There are illustrations that make me laugh. Like the, there's, um, there's just really funny, hilarious elements in the drawings that are, that's that have sprung from the imagination of the illustrator, and that's nice, isn't it? You know, not not trying to get an illustrator whose job is to produce something from my brain, to, mm-hmm. tease it out, but for, for for her to create something herself. Well, yeah, that that it it becomes more of a collaborative thing at the end mm. of the day like that it's like with when we've spoken with comic writers as well you know they'll yes. they'll write the the script but they'll often be quite hands-off in terms of what the artist will bring and sometimes be surprised by what the artist does in a generally in a positive way i think yeah. <laughs> yes i mean with it being a whodunit obviously sometimes i have to go ah no that door yeah, has to be on sure. the other side of the room because yeah, you know for reason. some for some tedious mechanical plot reason it can't be there uh, and and I can't expect uh, the illustrator to have a, a, a you know a god's eye view of how all the different pieces fit together because I struggle to half the time. Um, but the yeah, I, I mean in the in the second book, there's a, a little building at the edge of a beach which is um, uh, the um, a sort of excise house, uh, a causeway on an island where they uh, check for contraband entering or leaving the island and. The excise is one of the words that the kids are going to learn when they read the book because <laughs> nobody knows the word excise. Um, and, yeah, the illustrator came back when the house is on stilts. So I was like, okay, well, I think I'm going to have to mention that in the text because I had not imagined the house being on stilts. But the house being on stilts, you know, it makes perfect sense because this is a causeway, so the tide comes in. So what do yeah. they do? It make You know, when you think about it, it's not only logical, it's also comical. Um, and so, of course, they have to be clattering up and down uh, wooden staircase to get in and out of the the house on little wooden stilts, which is uh, which is a wonderful invention that I in the future look forward to taking credit for. <laughs> <laughs> and and does writing across these different uh, um, formats is 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 that good for you as a sort of creative person? Is it nice to you know I'm going to do some stand up, I'm going to write a book, I'm going to, or would you prefer to be concentrating in one area? Well, they say a change is as good as a rest, mm-hmm. although the last few months has been quite busy. So, frankly, I wouldn't mind giving a rest. A go. <laughs> um, I, it, I do. I really enjoy being able to switch from from one project to another because I do find that refreshing, and I'm better at that than I am at sitting down not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a. Uh, the listener can't hear how ginger I am, but I'm not a sunbather. <laughs> um, however white you're imagining, I am. It's more than that. <laughs> Uh, I don't sunbathe, but uh, but I find it difficult to do it um, within a day, and that's where I've, what, mm-hmm. what I found challenging. You know, um, spending all day writing and and then going to do new material as as a comedian, which I've I've done several times in the last few weeks, uh, in the last couple of months. Uh, I had uh, a, a sort of a, a ridiculous week where I had to do the, the first date of my tour, so that means learning an older show, um, as well as updating the old show. Mm-hmm. I had and uh, my first a work in progress for a completely new show, so having to do about forty-five to fifty minutes of new jokes, which I had not written, and the launch of the book. Um, and I shouldn't complain because these are all good things. Like getting to do my first little UK tour is a wonderful, you know, sort of milestone. And, mm-hmm. and you know, this might be the high point of my career, so I should enjoy <laughs> it. Uh, but having to do all of the elements of it in the same week was. Uh, was hard work and did yeah. uh, I, I was riding on adrenaline for a lot of that 
Uh, and and I would like to apologise to the people at the Work in Progress <laughs> show who were extremely patient with some uh, some very very not developed material, but it did last forty five minutes. So <laughs> you, that's, that's contractually, that's all I'm obliged to give for a Work in Progress show. I mean, would you would you want to move into the world of film and TV? You know, write stuff for other mediums. Well, that's that's what I always wanted to do. That's what I, I I got into all of these other things, trying to work out how to be a a, a movie director. I wanted to be Terry Gilliam, um, and it didn't work. Um, yeah, so I've still I still got the ideas. I've still got the you know, like I say, the screenplays that are not doing anything. Um, I I would love to do that, and and annoyingly, I'm realizing that um, I, I I you know, there's the the old um, Mark Twain saying about about the saying don't put all your eggs in one basket which by the way you can't do if you're a vegan um <laughs> the mark twain version of that is put all your eggs in one basket and watch that basket <laughs> which uh, you know everybody's saying like if you want to be a writer just be a writer you know yeah which yeah. i which i think is good advice however um you get to meet interesting people by doing interesting things Mm-hmm. And you get interesting opportunities by being good at doing anything. And I, it irritates me as much as anyone else that um, that people who aren't from a filmmaking background keep getting um, Arts Council funding to make films. Like, maybe give them to people who went to film school instead of people who went to art school. Like, or, or, or actors. Why should actors be allowed to direct anything? You know, that I, I, I'm, I can be as petty as anyone else. Um, but I think the reason is that you... you it's... You know, doing stand-up, you meet interesting people doing stand-up, and you meet interesting people going to open mics in stand-up, and then 10 years later, mm-hmm. they're not doing stand-up anymore, but they're doing something else, which is yeah. interesting. And uh, th- and you can, I was going to say phone them up, but we're millennials. You can um, message them on Twitter <laughs> if that still exists. Um, I I don't know. I I probably would have made more money if I, if when I was 20, I thought, right, I'm going to be an animator and just stuck to that. Or, or some, you know, if I just said, right, I'm going to do one of the things I'm interested in and commit to it and not do anything else to the exclusion of everything else. Um, as it is, mm-hmm. I've done whatever I was interested in uh, and whatever I had the opportunity to do at every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so my, my my flat is probably smaller than it would be if I had <laughs> if I'd put all my eggs in one basket and watched that basket. But I don't regret just only doing work that i was interested in because yeah i feel lucky you know how many people get to mostly do things that interest them for their yeah, life absolutely. absolutely you know that's that's yeah. what an incredible what, an, what incredible privilege to be able to do things that i'm interested in and, and so we've got we, the first montgomery bomb bomb book not long out go and buy it we, we'll stress that again okay, stop but, pause the podcast and buy it now <laughs> um the second one you've just handed in is that out next year? Then is it on uh, a later, yearly? Later this year. Ah, so, later this year. Uh, yes. Nice. Um, so um, yes, the next one should be out in uh, September, October time. I think. Right. Okay. Depending, depending on when I, depending on how many spelling mistakes are still in it at this point, <laughs> I think quite a lot. I was very tired. <laughs> Um, but, but no, it is good. Honestly, I have worked hard on it. I see. I keep forgetting that I'm supposed to be selling it. I keep being honest by mistake. I honestly, I'm, I'm, quite, I'm really enjoyed working on them. I have. Excellent. <laughs> and and, and your your tour is when's that on until? Or... Uh, that's a that's a UK tour with a, a couple of dates in Scotland, uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow, in May, I think. Cool. Mostly, mostly around England, and a couple of dates in Northern Ireland, um, Belfast, and Derry. Uh, are you and coming then, back to the Fringe this year? And I'm, I'm not, and I can't, I can't even hold back the smile. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm skipping the Edinburgh Festival fin- Fringe um, this year, uh, which is, a sh- which is a shame because I, I genuinely do enjoy it, and, uh, it, but it's also great because I also hate it, like all comedians. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we love it and we hate it. So um, hopefully next year, but not this year. Excellent. Nice. What was the last book that you read? What, oh, the last book that I re- finished. Um, I oh, I should mention I've got a really terrible memory, and people who come <laughs> to see me on tour will see that there are sheets of paper 
next Scattered time. Scattered all over. I, the I can remember now. Um, I I I we've I just got a bedside lamp so I could um, read. I, I, um, I, I read an awful lot of uh, short, impossible crimes, part of the, uh, the the Lizard collection, I think it's called. It's right. like oh, a thousand okay. of them. I didn't read all of them. Uh, but the, the last novel I read was um, Susan Susanna Clarke's uh, Piranesi. Piranesi. Yeah. Yes. Which I really, which as a um, as a video gamer, I'm like, oh, this is. This is very familiarly in sort of mist and riven territory. Mm-hmm. Like if you, uh, oh, cool. It's I, I sort of to read still. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't want to know spoilers then from me, but, um, but I, I suspect it's being read by a, a public who haven't played video games. And um, if you, if you read it from, a, I, I have no idea whether the author is a, a gamer, but it feels like a story that's been uh, that could easily work in an interactive medium. Nice. Um, what about the last film that you watched? Oh, um, the last film I watched was, I think, Alphaville. Because, but I did watch that for another podcast. So I had seen it before. So I watched it to revise Alphaville. What is Alphaville again? Uh, Jean-Luc Godard's 1965 sort of bricolage sci-fi. made okay, of, not the uh, film I was thinking of. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, 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 it would be that or it would be um, some 1930s whodunit throwback um but i've been watching for research um i've been watching an awful lot of whodunits lately and not uh not catching up on as many uh highbrow <laughs> films as i should have <laughs> uh, but is a good answer that's sophisticated that's a new way but it doesn't necessarily represent uh what i would have been watching <laughs> uh, what, what about the last tv show that you watched or are watching um i've been i've been watching uh Link and uh, Williams is it Williams and Link. I can't remember the, the the producers of Columbo and Murder She Wrote. I've been watching their Ellery Queen oh, right. from nineteen seventy one. Okay, cool. Which is not exactly undeservedly forgotten. Not quite <laughs> deservedly forgotten. It's got its it's got some good episodes and it's got its merits. Uh, but you can sort of see why it didn't get a second series. I've never heard of that. Was it called? Uh, it's Ellery Queen, and it's not really an adaptation of the Ellery Queen uh, who done its short stories. Most of them are original stories, and it's extremely unfaithful to the short stories i've read in terms of character um but the nicest thing about it for me is it, it may it keeps the the thing that they had as uh, on the radio series which presumably th- those writers would have grown up listening to in the right uh, okay. 40s and 50s uh which is at, at the key moment in the story the narrator or ellery queen turns to you and says um have you worked it out you've got all the clues okay. cool. and they have jim hutton the lead actor literally turn to camera and say I think I've got it. Have you worked it out? Because um, you, as you match wits with El- Ellery Queen and that sort of gamified uh, yeah. element, uh, yeah, I appreciate. Yeah. Um, I, I, so, I, and I, d- I did enjoy the. Uh, it's tr- it's all whodunits at the moment. Uh, is that, Horowitz, is that is for research or, or do you just enjoy? I do like yeah. a whodunit, but it's yeah. part, it, I, I may be on a bit of a, a a bit of a kick at the moment, um, as they say. And uh, but the last one we watched was the um, Hugh Laurie's adaptation of Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which they just did on ITV. Oh, right. nice! Okay. I've seen that. Which is, uh, I, I think, um, both of those uh, um, Magpie Murders and Why Didn't They Ask Evans benefit enormously from being multi-episode, multi-episode stories, which are one story, which are a whodunit, which don't have previously ons at the start. Yeah. Um, because the previously on, as we all know, is the is the murder mystery killer. Because yes. you, you want to yes, slip in, all, yeah. It's like uh, you know the incidental thing where oh that that guy from the first episode who you didn't remember yeah, here here right. he is in yeah. the last. Why week do you need on. to remember him? Yeah, why is he there? Exactly. <laughs> That's, I've had uh, that thought suspicious. so many times with watching these yes. types of shows where you think, well, obviously this is a major character because they yeah. brought him back in this recap scene, yeah, and exactly. now it's going to ruin it for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's like watching um, Seven now, and you just go, "Why was Kevin Spacey playing that reporter?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> it's obviously him. Um, um, so yeah, um, I just wish I hadn't brought up Kevin Spacey, but it's too late now. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I, I enjoyed those, and also it's nice to have a it's nice to have a humorous whodunit with actual jokes in it because I think uh, 
I think a lot of the uh, as the as cozy crime becomes more popular, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm aware I'm contributing to it, but I'm doing my best to actually be funny while I do that. <laughs> I think there's a te- it's easy to lean on sort of humorous music and um, uh, whimsy rather than actual jokes yes. and funny dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What did you think of the Knives Out films? Have you seen both of them? I really enjoyed those. I, mm. I think the first is perhaps my favourite, although that might just be yeah, an aesthetic so. preference mm. for creaky old houses rather than sort of murder under the sun. The second one is is an obvious homage, um, which is how uh, writers pronounce homage, <laughs> to The Last of Sheila, which is a, a, an, a, an undeservedly forgotten um, yeah. whodunit I think 1974, um, Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins wrote oh, it. Oh. Yeah, because it, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, Glass Onion, and I hadn't realised. Oh, I didn't realise that. Really? Yeah, yeah. And it was adapted because it was so it similar was. to... Yeah. I see. Yeah. That'd be the lawyer saying, yeah, you didn't Yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> it's a little bit similar. Um, that's a, that's well worth watching. Very, uh, it, it's, uh, it has that sort of don't-look-now quality of... Um, yeah. Uh, being shot on location in Europe and the sound quality being absolutely appalling as a consequence. <laughs> like there's nine Italians arguing next to the microphone and, and Donald Sutherland's way over there. Like, how do I, how are we supposed to hear what is being said? Um, that's, that's Don't Look Now. And Lasso Sheila has a very similarly um, shaky production quality, but um, very, very, it's, it has really, really dated in some ways. Um, and I think those are very interesting, and I don't think I don't mean that as a criticism of the film, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, but I can't go into it without spoilers. Okay, nice. but oh, uh, yeah, out, no, it's sure. it's it's very it's funny, it's witty, it's it's a terrific whodunit in its own right. You know, the, there's a there's a clue presented. You, I saw it and I did not realize, and it's oh, got one of those proper yeah. oh yeah. yes, of course moments. <laughs> so it's it's very very good um, and 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 weird and uh, satirical and interesting to watch in parallel with glass onion as Great. a sort of satire of appalling hollywood types well the, the the very very last thing we do is a super quick fire either or and um i always say in these ones there's no right answer apart from perhaps one of them but we'll start <laughs> off with uh grim fandango or monkey island oh i can't can i okay it's gonna uh are we talking about the original monkey island or the whole monkey island series let's go for the original monkey island the original monkey island okay in that case it's grim fandango because okay. monkey island 2 is the more the more accomplished game <laughs> um have you played the new one Return? i haven't yet because no. i am afraid that i might not like it <laughs> yeah fair enough i haven't yet uh tv or cinema well, I would always have said cinema, but then, but lockdown has changed me, and I've watched so many, I've watched so many TV whodunits that oh, I think I might be a TV boy. Oh no, <laughs> I I thought I was highbrow. I thought I was, I thought it was an intellectual. You still watch your French avant-garde films on the TV. It's okay. You can actually, yes. <laughs> uh, Night owl or early bird? Night owl, please. The, uh, the morning, you can keep your mornings. Uh, people don't music. people don't get into stand up comedy because we like getting up early. That's no, that's right. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? I I know it's frowned upon. I I hate working in silence. I hate just listening to the computer fan or the sound of traffic or rain. So I do like to come up with. I do like to listen to nondescript or uh, thematically appropriate music if I can. I can't have lyrics or anything like that. But mm-hmm. music. I'm really slowing down this quickfire round, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one: real book or ebook? Real book, please. Uh, unfortunately, ebook. Yeah, oh, was it? Are ebooks yeah, correct? Delete the episode, days. Marco. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always just pick ebook because no one, no one ever picks ebook, and I feel sorry for them. So, I well, I, I know what you mean. I've I've come round to having previously been a, a, a snob. Um, and now being perfect, I, I, I've, I've sort of uh, evolved on my position on ebooks and audiobooks and all the rest of it. You know, as I, as I've, uh, you know, I do a podcast about folklore, and that means finding old texts on archive.org and you know, mm. reading yeah. PDFs and looking at old JPEGs. And it's like it doesn't really matter any of that, does it? It's um, as long as people are reading stories. Yeah, I, you yeah, know, you can read with your ears or your eyes. Yeah. Getting too attached to the medium is, uh, you know, the, the the physicality of whether it's a book is a sort of a form of uh, 
snobbishness, isn't it? It's a yeah, way of signaling yeah, your, uh, your superiority. That's, that's, that's a good point, yeah. That was a great chat. Really, really enjoyed that. A really nice guy. Very funny. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and interesting what he says about the difference between stand up and writing stand up comedy and writing books is that kind of you know immediate impact or immediate feedback you get from the audience when you're trying material out. You, you know immediately if it's working or not. Whereas the book, it's much longer. Yeah, yeah. Which I suppose is good and bad in in some ways as we as we discussed. You know. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, if it's exactly. crashing, burning, you'll you'll, you'll find it exactly. Quick. But yeah, it, it, it's very different skill set i think um writing across these mm-hmm. different things and even for video games as well you know as he says you've got in oh, sort of, yeah. those sorts of video games you've got like a short time in between the the player doing things to try and get the story or point across kind of a thing so um yeah you yeah. know they must be good having that sort of different variety in your in your creative life oh yeah definitely so, Thanks very much to Alistair for coming on. The first Montgomery Bonbon book, Murder at the Museum, is now out. And as he said, go and buy it. Um, if Buy it for yourself or buy it for your sons or daughters or nephews or nieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next one is out in October as well. So, yeah, thanks for coming on again, Alistair. Uh, and next week, we've got another great guest. Yeah, next week we've got a very exciting guest, the legend that is Mr. Dean Kuntz. Um, yes. Very massive name in the kind of horror-y, dark thriller, thriller yeah. genre. Yeah, um, I was certainly quite a big fan of him when I was growing up. It was that kind of, it was, I remember it was him and Stephen King were the two, that, that kind of similar area they kind of wrote in that kind of dark thriller genre. Yeah, and, and uh, I think I always associate Dean Kuntz particularly with the sort of, great twists at the yes, end of his story. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we talked to him about that actually about the you know about whether he plans those twists or whether they come as as he's writing the book um, but yeah it was it was amazing getting the opportunity to speak yeah, to someone like Dean he's a very nice man it was very yes very awesome. so um, highly recommend you tune in for that episode but if you enjoyed today's episode please do take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app as that allows us to continue to get great guests on the podcast. And of course, you can always get in touch with us if you would like in a variety of ways. You can send us an email, which is uh, podcast at rightgear.co.uk or you can find us across a variety of social media. We are all, we're on all of them. Uh, unfortunately, well, Marco. All the important ones. All the important ones, ones anyway. Uh, and, and some other <laughs> And you can find us by searching for at UK page one. Um, on all of those uh, various social media platforms. Apart from Mastodon, Apart which from is writing.exchange slash page one pod. It's called but the rest one. of them. Right. I knew there was one uh, which was different. That's Mastodon. Yeah, yeah. but yes, uh, please do get in touch uh, if you want to let us know about uh, the past episodes or have suggestions for future guests as well. That's always good to hear as well. Um, and otherwise, have a great week and we'll speak to you again next week. See you later. Thank you.